Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Sexology. Whether you guys are here listening for the first time or you're coming back, I appreciate your time. And as always, I want to focus on a topic that you guys express interest in. I was looking at my statistic from about the podcast that's been downloaded the most. And I realized you guys are really interested to learn more about improving your sexual relationship. That's why that we're going to talk today about tips to improve your sex life and how to enjoy more fulfilling sex. It's absolutely my pleasure to have a sex therapist and licensed mental health counselor Mrs. Jessa Zimmerman in our show. Mrs. Zimmerman works in private in downtown Seattle and specializes in working with couples struggling with issues of sex and intimacy. Jessa earned a master's in psychology from Lias Graduate College of Seaborg University, working through a program that emphasized family system theory and experiential learning. Upon completion of that degree, she earned a certificate in sex therapy from University of Michigan. Combining those credentials with many hours of supervision and client work, she earned her certification as a sex therapist through the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors and Therapists, ASAC. She had pursued advanced training in approaches to couple therapy including crucible couple therapy and emotionally focused couple therapy. Jessa has developed an online quiz that helps couples get a sense of the health of their relationship across several parameters. One of those measures is sexual avoidance. 
She's currently writing a book on the topic of the avoidance cycle and how couples can address the issues that cause them to avoid sex so that they can share a fulfilling sex life. Here's my conversation with Mrs. Jessa Zimmerman. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. As I mentioned during our introduction, our guest today is Mrs. Jessa Zimmerman, a licensed mental health counselor and a sex therapist. Jessa, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. I am so excited for this conversation. I personally took your quiz and it was fascinating. It actually was different, which was great. So and uh, I know it was unhealthy sexuality. So how did you think about developing that quiz? Well, I guess it, it's come out of my years in practice with couples. You know, I work ex- pretty much exclusively with couples and sexual issues. And of course, there are themes that emerge. And so as I started to put that quiz together, it just kind of all came out at once. You know, the, the various um, parameters that I'm sort of looking at with it and the questions, it all has come out of my work. That, that was very interesting and enlightening because it was, I took it and I thought I, do, I would do really well, but that was, I found some areas that I definitely need to work on. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was curious. So based on your experience, I wanted to hear that what are some of the tenets of healthy sexualities that you see with couples? Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about that question and it's, of course, a big question you could answer an awful lot of ways. But the way I've been thinking about lately is uh, sort of the way I've designed the quiz. I I had five basic areas that I feel like people consistently, at least the ones coming into therapy, are having trouble with, you know, different ones. So, for instance, one of the tenets is, you know, of a healthy sexuality is engagement with it. You know, being able to talk to your partner and stay actively involved and communicative and working to change it or improve it and tend to it versus avoidance, which is, of course, what a lot of people are doing. Another one is being positive and supportive instead of negative or hostile. Uh, One of the measures was the ability to be present in the experience with your partner instead of sort of distracted, you know, or absent. One was being able to access desire, you know, to have sex with your partner and, you know, desire to engage as opposed to boredom or lack of desire. And then the last one was the ability to, to put attention or priority into your sex life, you know, and take care of it instead of sort of neglect or complacency. That is such an important point because I feel that as, as many of us experience, when you are in a long-term relationship, sometimes sex become a less of a priority, which is, it can be normal from time to time, but if you keep pushing it back, then that's going to be really hard to expect to have a as healthy sex life as you used to have. And you were talking about uh, being engaged during the sex. And that that's definitely very interesting because I know that with some of my clients, I recommend them to practice mindfulness. And they're telling me that as long as they are in their fantasy world, they're able to do it. But as long as they kind of tune in, they lose interest. What are What's your thoughts on that? Well, it's definitely something I hear from people, for sure. It, it is a practice like mindfulness or meditation almost to bring yourself to be present, you know, especially over time when we have other things in our lives like children, <laughs> you know, right. job stress, you know, and just the getting to know somebody really well and we kind of tune out. We're so used to them. We're not paying attention. So it does take practice to be able to do that. 
And I also think that over time in a longer term relationship, you have to find, you know, occasionally you need to find new levels of meaning or some new way to be erotic together. It's not about buying a trapeze, but it's about bringing more of your mental energy and getting creative together. That is so important because if you're having the same sex for decades and decades, it's going to like, it wouldn't be as exciting. I feel part of excitement is novelty. Right, right. But you can, I, I agree with you, but you can also run out of like new things to do. It's, right. <laughs> I, I try to, you know, I, I get clients that sometimes think, oh, we just constantly have to be doing new things and you'll run out of that. Some of the novelty is about that sort of deeper meaning or sense of connection or revealing more of yourself intimately with a partner. So it's not always about some new wild position or, toy right. or something like that. But, how, you know, how do you keep it really interesting and engaging as you go forward over decades? It's, a, it's an important question. Yeah. And I love you talking about how creating a deeper connection can help with increasing intimacy. And I sometimes the other thing I hear, and I bet you hear it a lot, that then people feel like they're really connected and they're like emotional level, like they, they cannot see their partner kind of as a sexual partner. Then they yeah. say he or she <laughs> becomes my sister, my family. So right. they lose that fire. Yeah. So it's, it's like at the same time that you're getting a deeper connection, you have to maintain surprise with each other. Like none of us are the same person we were when we got married or got together 10 years ago. So trying to keep an open mind to each other and allow the person to be new and to develop. And I guess for each of us to continue to grow as people so that we can surprise our partners. Like that's part of the, the work of life, I think, is keeping ourselves changing. Absolutely. And the other thing that I see in a long-term relationships is that another issue is sometimes people develop sexual dysfunctions. I hear that many women I work with, they got like sex become painful for one point or another, and they never talked about it. I know one of the things that you talk about in your blogs and vblogs and the quiz is how unresolved sexual problem hang over the, some of people's sex life. How do you recommend people approaching that? Well, I mean, you're right. If there has been sexual dysfunction, for sure, but there's all kinds of things that can hang over a sex life. And a lot of people that I see have not talked about it. So that's a huge stumbling block because until you can start to have the conversation with your partner, it's like sex is loaded. I mean, I have clients describe it as like a test. Every time they go to have sex, it feels like a test that they fail. Right. You know, and so if that's how sex feels, you know, of course they're not having it very often, right? It's so stressful and there's so much at stake. So people start to avoid it. And that, you know, the first step is to figure out, you know, what are you avoiding? You know, like what's really happening? And then starting to open that conversation with your partner. And I, I know it's scary for people, but that's, that's where it's got to start. Right. And I feel sometimes people, they don't have their... Uh, they don't know how to approach the topic. I know sometimes I work with more traditional conservative families and the wife thinks like it's going to affect the husband's masculinity if they're going right. to bring up the issue. But as you said, it's so important to be able to talk about it. Do you have any recommendations as far as the useful way that can people approach that? Well, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, I'm thinking of so many different situations at one time. I recommend approaching it, you know, somewhat gently, but directly and trying to own your own feelings, you know, certainly not blaming your partner. <laughs> uh, 
um, and trying to make it, trying to invite them into a conversation as allies and collaborators and like this is important for both of us because I, you know, I can almost guarantee you that the other partner knows there's a problem too. They may not know that sex is painful, but they know that sex has gone down, that there's some avoidance, you know, there's sort of the elephant in the room that they both are aware of. So it takes breaking that ice and just starting the conversation and the other person likely is going to realize, you know, you're right, we've been struggling with something for a while. That is so funny that you just mentioned that the partner, Paul, will know. Last week, I had this conversation with one of my clients. He was coming in because he's thinking like the sexual relationship is not good. He has issues around attraction. Like, so we all, we've been working on this. And I recommended him to read a Sir Pearl book, uh, Mating in Captivity. Right. And he kept saying that, you know, my, uh, my partner, she has no idea. And he came next session and said, you know what? I found it the book in her purse as well. <laughs> I was like, okay, see, <laughs> she, she's noticing it. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we are meant to read each other as animals. I mean, it's built into our brain that we can, you know, we read body language and tone of voice. And, and really, there's no surprises here. People, both people are participating in something and they be- both know there's a problem. They may not know exactly what's happening, but they've got a pretty good idea. So I think that, Sometimes that conversation doesn't go well at first, but a lot of times I think the other partner is relieved that the somebody had the courage to bring it up. Absolutely, because then from that place you have you're gonna have options and you know how to address it versus something that you both are suffering and you don't right. know how to approach it. Right, right, because it's certainly not getting better if you aren't talking about it. Absolutely, and the other area that you were talking about it in the quiz, I thought was like very relevant to many of our listeners and also my clients is about sexual avoidance. So what are some of the factors that contribute to that? Well, people, it's a little hard to generalize, but I think basically people think sex should be one way and it isn't. So somehow it's not meeting their expectations. So then they think something's wrong and that starts to feed the avoidance. So whether it's, you know, we should want sex more or I should want sex more, you know, whether it's a desire issue, whether it's about, you know, unrealistic expectations about sex in general, which happens a lot, whether there's relationship issues that are happening or, or performance issues, you know, sexual dysfunction, whatever is happening, something feels broken and that causes people to start, you know, some people to start avoiding sex because they don't know how to talk about those things. Yes, and you were talking about expectation and made me think about how, like part of it's related to not having good sexual education. Absolutely. Because I know, yeah, many of my clients, they got the education from pornography, which is like, I don't, I'm not against pornography for if they're watching it for entertainment, but it's not right. sex education. So right. they, they see, okay, I, I cannot perform the same level and they get disappointed. Yeah, I'm doing a lot of basic sort of sex ed, I guess, with clients or, you know, letting them know really realistic expectations because not only, you know, porn, I'm also not against it, but I make the point, it is entertainment. It's not sex. <laughs> it's right. been scripted and it's been accentuated and they, it's been, you know, they've done things to change what's happening. You know, it's not even real. Uh, but they also get it just from TVs and movies and they get it from their friends. I mean, these ideas that people have, they're crippling when they feel like, this is how sex is supposed to go, and I can't do that. 
Right. And I think part of it also is big part of it is media, not as you said, not necessarily pornography. You, we see all the articles say like five ways to have like 10 orgasm, like some things right, that right. people are thinking, okay, what's wrong with me? Why I'm not able to do that? Well, yeah. And I mean, one of the biggest ones that comes up all the time is women, well, and men who think that women should be able to orgasm through only vaginal penetration. Right. And it's less than a third of women that really can do that. But every TV and movie, every show and movie that you watch, you know, that's what's happening. It, it just gets compounded and compounded. And so people, you know, some people are just incredibly relieved when I tell them the statistics because they've been holding themselves to this other standard, you know, which they can't meet. Absolutely. And I think the other part is people sometimes create meaning associated with sex that's not there. I'm thinking, yeah. okay, yeah, my partner is not... Uh, she's not interested in me. That's why she's not having vaginal orgasm. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, everybody's stories around this stuff. And none of it gets challenged until they start to talk about it um, or get the information, you know, coming into a therapist, for instance. You know, we can correct this for people and let them know what's really happening. And, you know, don't you find that tons of your couples are relieved when you say other people are struggling with this? Absolutely. You know, this is common, right? Yeah, and I like it's one of those areas that I constantly hear how much misinformation people have about it. Right, right. Well, I was just going to say, so there is a huge role for just basic sex education and giving people realistic expectations about what sex should be like. Right, and the other thing is, so for our listeners that they find each other, they find themselves stuck in the sexual avoidance, what are some of the ways to change that? Well, it's going to start with conversation, or, or maybe it could start with reflection, like getting, getting a really good idea of what they're avoiding. You know, what, what are the issues and the expectations that they have that they're feeling bad about? So they might have that kind of clarity. But then it's got to start with a conversation with their partner and saying, hey, we're not having sex as much as we used to, or I can tell th that it's loaded, or that you're hesitant to initiate, or I am, or, you know, just to introduce that in a way that says, let's solve this together. Let's start having the conversations and give ourselves some space to figure out how to, you know, have solutions. Right. And the other area that I see sexual avoidance, sometimes after infidelity, and mm. sometimes people kind of stop having sex after that because it's just so painful. How do you help people to like kind of navigate and start having sex after kind of going through that cycle? Oh, gosh, that's, a, <laughs> that's sort of a whole different, um, <laughs> that's a whole different follow wax, right? But you're right. A lot of people are very hesitant to re-engage sexually because they've got to feel like something is different now. Like how, how are they going to know this isn't going to happen again if they decide to even stay in the relationship? So I guess, I mean, I certainly work with infidelity in, in my practice a lot and I try to get some real ownership of what happened from both people. And they've, they've got to have some sort of experience of growth and self-confrontation that gives a reason to trust again. I mean, the other thing, don't you find too in your practice that some people end up having a lot of sex after infidelity? Oh, absolutely. Initially, for sure. Right, right. Almost as if like, let's, let's make ourselves feel better or prove that this is going to be okay or, you know, sort of the, the opposite can happen too. Right. And they get confused. For example, sometimes like one thing that happens is my clients, when they realize there was infidelity, they want to know everything and they mm -hmm. kind of keep dig deeper and deeper. And one, one thing happens that they learn about the other sexual encounters that their partner had and they found themselves aroused for some reasons and they start having more sex. I think part of it is mm -hmm. because of that they want to get the validation. They want to say, I'm good enough. 
But sometimes I, I wonder if there's something else there. Hmm. Like what? I'm kind of thinking about that, like kind of seeing the partner kind of from the different perspective, kind mm, of imagining yeah. him in that or her in that light. Maybe it's arousing, but I see it often. I, it's just I always kind of contemplate about, okay, what is that about? Well, it does remind me of what Esther Perel writes about, which is all of a sudden this is a new person. Generally, they didn't expect their spouse to do this, and sometimes there is something revealed that there's a, often in an affair a different part of the person gets to be expressed, right? So that's a part that has been a mystery to the spouse. And so all of a sudden, the one that had the affair looks different and new and might be more attractive. Right. And then, but the issue is when they, re, like the more they know, it more challenging it gets for them to yes. engage in those behaviors. Yes, it certainly can be. It can be. And certainly part of the discussion from my perspective at some point is what, what did get revealed about the adulterer's preferences and eroticism and that maybe they struggle to express with their, their spouse. You know, there's, there's some important stuff to glean from what happened in the affair to bring back to the couple's relationship and sex life when they're ready. Yeah. yeah. And do you see people recover from that? Like sexually, did you have that experience in your practice? Oh yeah, I do. I mean, I, I, I don't know what the odds are. Like I'm just trying to think if, if it's 50, 50 that people stay together or apart. I suppose most people that come into therapy, they have a better shot. You know, they've already made a decision to invest in the relationship and not just end it because of an affair. But yeah, I do see people come through an affair, you know, sort of stronger than ever. You know, I think at that point, they might even say it was a gift. But boy, it sure doesn't feel like that when they're doing that hard work. Absolutely. And it I kind of reminds me of post-traumatic growth. That's, as you said, like some people are experiencing and they, they would learn about more about themselves. They're learning about their partner. So that can be very helpful, but it's definitely a challenging work. So I read one of the things I read in your website and bio is like you were trained in EFD, motion focused therapy. Right, right. Do you find that like, you know, couples, like when they're expressing their emotions, they're more emotionally connected, their sex life gets better? Sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I see a pause there. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I, I believe that, uh, and I should say, I don't, it's not like I use EFT that much. I, I more use the crucible technique that I learned with David Snarsh. Oh, interesting. Okay. That's an aside. But sometimes that level of emotional connection sort of opens up a sex life. But my feeling is, you know, you've probably heard this too. People will go to marriage counseling and work on their communication and get all kinds of things straightened out, but their sex life doesn't get better. But somehow when they come in and address their sex life and they really take themselves on and whatever has to happen so that they can show up sexually with their partner, that ripples out to the rest of their relationship. Definitely. Yeah. So I like, as part of why I think, you know, my interest in sex therapy, I like to work in the arena of sex because I feel like it has a lot of leverage for change. It's a really powerful leverage point. Right. And I definitely agree with you. I some of, Sometimes I hear clients, couple, they've, they've been in couples counseling for years, Andres. They have excellent communications, but the challenges on sex life is there. And sometimes it makes me wonder about the importance of having a conversation about sex, having the right kind of vocabulary, because I know that many people grew up in a sex negative environment they, they're mm -hmm. not comfortable talking about sex so how can they kind of start communicating in a, like a healthy way with their partner around their sexuality 
Right. That is a big challenge because obviously part of the reason people are avoiding sex is because they're not talking about it. And a lot of time they're not talking about it because they've never talked about sex. I mean, I get a lot of clients who show up in my office and have never spoken about sex with their partner. They've been struggling for, you know, 10, 15 years and they've never talked about it. So it takes that, I guess, that courage to open the door. I often recommend that people, well, you know what I recommend a lot? I don't know if you've talked about this book on your podcast before, but The Guide to Getting It On. Oh, no, I haven't. I, oh, I heard about it, but I haven't read it. It's, 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 um, it's heteronormative, so it really okay. is better for heterosexual couples. But it's a fabulous resource, tremendous sex ed book from beginning to end, you know, really explicit, very informative, all kinds of techniques, but it's also really funny. It's really, really entertaining. Oh. And so I will suggest that people read that book to get vocabulary and context, and it kind of desensitizes them. The way the guy wrote the book, it's, you can't stay squeamish for long. <laughs> and, um, and sometimes I'll recommend people read it aloud to each other. So if they've really, you know, struggled to talk about sex and to use these words and be that specific, there's something about just reading, reading it aloud breaks that down and they start to get more comfortable. Oh, I love that. So they can kind of like somehow indirectly at the beginning to start talking, like adopting those languages. Right, right. Because if they're reading the book, they're not talking about them. You know, they're reading somebody else's words, but they're getting used to those words. And, and the book, I mean, you have to see the book, but it's so disarming so quickly that I don't think you could get more than a couple chapters in before you're, you're sort of over <laughs> that uh, discomfort. So I, I have found that very helpful for couples that, that have really never talked about sex. Right. And I think just like, even using a specific vocabulary. So I find that sometimes men and women, they, they use different languages around sexuality. And that can be one thing that like the male says would make the woman could almost be a turnoff. So it's interesting right, to right. see that. Right, right. And there is that sort of figuring out what language you're going to use for various body parts and actions. And that's part of what needs to come up between the couple. Like everybody's sort of got their own way to refer to things. And as long as... As long as it works for them, that's fine. Absolutely. That makes sense. And as far as so for the couples that they don't necessarily struggle with, like necessarily, I know it was a uh, continuum, which was great with your quiz, but I'm thinking about if people want to kind of start developing healthy habits around their sexuality, what are some of the habits do you recommend people kind of engage in day-to-day -day basis? Uh, let's see, day-to-day -day basis habits. Well, prioritizing some small amount of time daily to connect with each other. So sometimes I refer to that as sort of an anchor, <laughs> right. you know, but whether, whether it's five or 10 minutes over a cup of coffee in the morning or a glass of wine in the evening, or it's cuddling up in bed and talking, like it doesn't even have to be sexual, but how are they going to invest in their couple relationship on a daily basis? Trying to add some physical touch and affection um, on a daily basis, I think is important. I often give people sort of a touching exercise, although I I don't know if I, anybody would do it daily, um, but at least on somewhat of a regular basis to engage on purpose in a way that feels safe and without expectation. That's interesting. Is it similar to like sensate focus that you do or is it different? It's a, it's a little bit uh, similar to sensate focus. Gosh, if you took my quiz, you'll get it. <laughs> it's part of, the, <laughs> part of the deliverables after you take the quiz when you're on the mailing list, you get this exercise. It's something where I have people take turns being the giver and the receiver. I see. But the receiver's all in charge. Okay. So oh, they interesting. Get to, yeah. So they get to think about exactly what they want and only think about themselves. Like the giver has to take care of themselves and say no if they need to. 
and they need to give a lot of instruction. But there's no expectations that it you know, needs to be sexual or it needs to be arousing or orgasmic. Like it's a practice and sort of letting go of any outcome and just being present. So I that's something that. I give people. But generally, they're not going to do that every day. <laughs> it's, <laughs> right. it's only 20 minutes, but it's still, you know, a bit. So. Right. And I find sometimes with, I, I don't use necessarily, I, have, I just learned the technique, but with Sensei Focus, and I tell them that it's not about, you shouldn't have expectation and they get disappointed when the partner is not aroused. Right, right. And that's part of the work, right? That I think of it when I give this exercise, I tell people this is just come out from under the bed. This is not a, a way, like a detour around your issues. It walks you right into the stuff that's in the way of your sex life. So that disappointment that your partner's not really into it, if that's part of what's happening in sex, that would happen in the exercise. Oh, wonderful reframing. That's so yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, not that it makes people happy about it <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but yeah it helps, it helps a little bit and then it's a matter of how okay how do we how do you work with that the next time you do the exercise now you know that's kind of like one of your demons or your monsters so what do you how are you going to take that apart and get it out of your way you know it's very experiential but it's also highly individual they have to solve those problems right and the only way to solve it is just like work on it and keep yeah, the problem yeah. solve it Right. And I tell, you know, certainly another thing I say to clients all the time is we're not going to fix this sitting in here with you on the couch talking about it. You know, we're going to get some insight, but but basically it all happens experientially in between sessions. That is so oh. true. Okay, great. Thank you so much. These are wonderful information. I think the quiz was great. And I bet it seems like you know a lot about this topic. And <laughs> I want our listeners to connect with you. So what would be the best way? Well, my website is jessazimmerman.com. So that's a great place. I mean, that's certainly where the quiz is, where my blog posts and things like that can be found. And I've got a YouTube channel and a Facebook page and all that kind of thing, but you can link to it through the website. Absolutely. And I'll make sure I leave everything on the show notes so our listeners can check it out. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. This was a pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey guys, I hope you found our conversation helpful and it gave you some ideas about how you can address the struggles you have in bedroom or the ways you can improve your sex life. If you try these techniques or many other techniques and none of your efforts seems to work, please don't give up hope. There's a huge difference between if you're trying to do it on your own or you're asking and getting professional help. I myself is a huge do-it-yourself person, but sometimes if you find that you're going around in the same loop, it would be a good time to reach out to a sex therapist and get consultation. And some of these issues can easily get resolved in few sessions, so it's worth giving it a shot. Anyhow, at the end, I wanted to say how much I appreciate you listening. I would love it if you can leave us an honest review in iTunes. It will help this show to move up in iTunes chart and it will help us to reach more people. And I love you for helping us with that. And I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.